Leanne, I saw this meme, and maybe you're familiar with it. It's about, like, having a toxic relationship, and it's that the red flag on your first date today will be the cause of your breakup tomorrow. And does that sort of feel like the relationship between Kevin McCarthy and the House Freedom Caucus? Oh, my gosh. That's really funny. Um yeah, it's the partner who always wants their other their partner to change. And it's never good enough, no matter what they do. And so ultimately, that is what happened to Kevin McCarthy. He tried uh, to be the right person for them, and it just was never enough. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted Tuesday after just nine months on the job. The yeas are 216. The nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. This is the first time ever that the House of Representatives has voted to remove its leader. We use the term unprecedented all the time in this Trump era of politics, but this is actually unprecedented. That's Washington Post reporter Leanne Caldwell, who's been covering Congress for years. This has never been done in the history of the House of Representatives, more than 200 years. And people who study the House, people who know the House rules inside and out, There's no precedent to follow. They didn't know at the end of the day if the House was even allowed to adjourn because there was no Speaker of the House. This was all set in motion by far-right members of the House GOP. Their relationship with McCarthy was rocky from the very start. They almost prevented him from even getting the speaker's gavel, and ultimately they were the reason for his downfall as well. We all knew that it was going to happen. Uh, The only question is, when? They were like, dump him. (laughs) Not to take the analogy too far. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, we're sick of him. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, October 4th. Today, Leanne explains how the relationship between the Speaker and far-right members of the House got so bad. It didn't happen overnight. You know, my father always told me, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. We talk about what this breakup means for the future of Congress and its ability to keep the country running for the rest of us. Okay, so Leanne, what we saw happen yesterday, it does feel like the almost inevitable conclusion of these ongoing fights that McCarthy has had with far-right members of his caucus in Congress. But for people who have not been following McCarthy's very brief tenure as speaker, just take us back to how he first got the job and got himself into this situation in the first place. Kevin McCarthy has wanted to be Speaker of the House for a very, very long time. He actually tried to be Speaker of the House once before, years ago. Didn't work out for him. We've been going through this campaign talking to a lot of members. But the one thing I've always said to earn this majority, we're servants. We should put this conference first. 
He was ascending through the House. He was minority leader last year. And then the House, the Republicans won the House of Representatives, and now was finally his time. He had been preparing for this day, building relationships with members, knowing their spouses, when their kids were sick, what tragedy was going on in members' lives, raising a lot, a lot of money to make sure these members are elected. It's probably the most earliest indication that we can win the majority. We were able to raise $52 million last year to be able to take this House back. And when Republicans won, Republicans took control of the House in January, and a very slim majority, which means that there was only four or five votes that Republicans could lose in any given vote. And so that was a challenging hand to be dealt, especially when you have a faction of the party who doesn't feel like they have to answer to anyone. They're not really conformists. They thrive on being different. And so it really gave Kevin McCarthy a very difficult hand, and it was a struggle from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think— Many of us, even if we're only tangentially paying attention, probably remember it took him, what, 15 times before he got enough votes to become elected Speaker of the House in January. It took a long time, and it took many, many votes. So let's talk about the far-right holdouts who, you know, have come up again in this moment. Who who are they? How many of them were there? And And what concessions did they get from McCarthy back when he was trying to become speaker? It kind of evolved. There started to be about 20, give or take one or two, who didn't want McCarthy. But they started to get things from him, um, some of these concessions. And ultimately, at the end, there were about six or seven who were the real holdouts. And these are some of the same people who voted to oust McCarthy this week. Leader of that pack is Representative Matt Gates of Florida. If the Democrats want to own Kevin McCarthy, they can have it. Because one thing I'm at peace with is when we stand here uh, a week from now, I won't own Kevin McCarthy anymore. He won't, but he won't belong to me. So if the Demo- he has been an outspoken critic of Kevin McCarthy. Now, there's definitely a personal element too, not just a political or policy element. The two men just do not like each other. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to. Um, protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing But then there's others, too. You know, Tim Burchett of Tennessee. To make a choice, you know, is it, am I going to vote for my friend Kevin McCarthy or am I going to vote with my conscience? These are people who are just intent on reducing government spending And that is their main goal. But ultimately, the demand that they made back in January was on this very arcane procedural rule. It's called a motion to vacate. And that is that any one member of Congress can bring up a motion to remove the speaker from his or her position. These hard-right hardliners, one of their ultimate demands was to make it easy 
to bring up that motion to vacate. So they brought down the threshold that just one member could bring up this procedural tactic to start the process to remove the speaker. And that was a very tough concession for McCarthy to give into, but he had to do it to win the speakership. And ultimately, that is the exact reason for his downfall and why he is no longer Speaker of the House, because that is the procedural tactic that was used to remove him from his job. Yeah, it's like why we're in this situation to begin with. But can you just walk me through briefly some of the beats of the last nine months of, you know, Kevin McCarthy's very brief tenure as Speaker What were some of the major moments where these tensions really came to a head that led us to what happened yesterday? Most of the tension revolves around government funding. Let's rewind back to April and May. If people remember, there was this big warning that the debt limit needed to be increased. The country was going to default on its debt, on its bills. There are lots of members in his party who did not want to lift the debt limit because that they saw that as a green light to spend more money. That's what we're supposed to do anyway, is represent the people of this country, fed up with a government that is now 40% bigger since the beginning of COVID. Kevin McCarthy knew that it would have been catastrophic to not lift the debt limit. Not everyone in his party agreed. Ultimately, he entered into negotiations with the White House to lift the debt limit. Those negotiations resulted in essentially a spending agreement in exchange for lifting the debt limit that would pretty much keep government spending flat for the next year. And that's actually a cut when inflation is taken into consideration. So it was a pretty big agreement. Not even a week later, after this agreement was inked, the debt ceiling was lifted, all was okay. He started getting a ton of pressure from the far right saying it was unacceptable. How dare Kevin McCarthy agree to that with the White House? We want deeper spending cuts. So what Kevin McCarthy did in an attempt to placate the far right He reneged on his agreement with President Biden and instructed the Republicans in the House to write spending bills at even steeper spending cuts. And so he was doing what the far right wanted. We're humming along through the summer, almost fall, and the end of the fiscal year is September 30th. The House, the Senate has not funded the government yet. So that was the next thing. He tried to work a placate once again, the far-right Republicans in this negotiation. It wasn't enough. They would never come to the table. They said no, no, no. Ultimately, he had to enter an agreement with the Democrats, and the government stayed open. The government was funded. And then that is essentially those two sins— on behalf of the right, that the right thinks Mm -hmm. is bad, ultimately led to them ousting him from his seat. I mean, isn't it also technically true that Democrats could have saved McCarthy and stopped him being ousted? Why didn't they bail him out? Is it as simple as, you know, this isn't our problem, this is your problem? Um, Or was there any chance that they could have done this? Because 
you know, they technically could have, right? They absolutely could have. And actually, Democrats played a major role. You know, we talked about it takes one person to bring up this vote to remove the speaker. But it takes a majority of the House of Representatives to adopt that motion, to pass that vote. And McCarthy really, you know, most of the Republicans like McCarthy. And he has the support of almost all of them. And so Democrats played a role here because if Democrats, you know, voted with most of the Republicans to save McCarthy, it just would have been a few votes who didn't want McCarthy. Why didn't they do that? Is there just a simple explanation of, you know, this is your fight? Or did they also feel like we can't trust him? There is a trust deficit for many members of Congress with Kevin McCarthy, especially with Democrats. It started on January 6th when he voted against certifying the election. That is still really raw around here, especially for Democrats. Um, It continued when he traveled to Mar-a-Lago weeks later and revived Donald Trump. Uh, They will never forgive him for that. It continued when the creation of the January 6th Select Committee, and he tried to put an end to that committee. He tried to kill that committee. Uh, Democrats think that was an attempt to protect Donald Trump, who they think is an insurrectionist and who they think is bad for democracy. It continued regarding the impeachment inquiry that uh, McCarthy opened into President Biden. He promised he would hold a vote on the House floor to launch that impeachment inquiry, something that has traditionally happened. McCarthy opened this impeachment inquiry and didn't hold that vote, something that really angered Democrats. They wanted to put Republicans on the record where they stood on impeachment, something that would have been a very difficult vote for many Republicans. Also, they thought that it was important to the institution of the House to escalate something so important as to opening an impeachment inquiry that it should be done with a full vote before the House. And they are furious that the day after the the government was funded, just a few days ago, uh, McCarthy went on national television and blamed Democrats for wanting to shut down the government and said it was their fault that it came to, that it almost came to the brink. And they were just done. They said, why would we protect this person who we think is bad for democracy, bad for the institution, and just not a good person? And so they washed their hands of him. After the break, who might be the next Speaker of the House? And what it means that there's no one permanently in charge right now. We'll be right back. Leanne, I I gotta say, some of this feels very familiar. Like, this isn't the first time that there has been drama among Republicans in, in the House. And this isn't actually even the first time that a Republican Speaker of the House has had to contend with the far-right elements of their group. I'm thinking back to John Boehner and Paul Ryan. Can you just briefly remind us, like, what happened with those two people? And do you see echoes of the past here? 
It's not even echoes of the past. It is a continuation of the past. The Republican Party has been um, fractured and divided and for many, many years and has become ungovernable. John Boehner resigned before this same process that ousted McCarthy was able to be brought forward. Um, a member had actually started the process, uh, but it never happened because John Boehner stepped down. So it could have happened then. This could have been something that had happened then. Yes. It, this same motion was introduced in 2015. It was done in a little bit, bit of a different way, but John Boehner decided to step down before he was ousted from his job. Mm. Uh, Paul Ryan you know, he, there weren't as many threats against his speakership, but it was a very difficult time when he was speaker. He was contending with Donald Trump in the White House, who he did not like. Uh, there was a growing faction of the Trump Republican Party that was at odds with his old school fiscal conservatism portion of the party. And he was always having to battle those different aspects of the party. And he became sick of it. And so hmm. this is a continuation of this tension within the Republican Party that has made it very difficult for Republican speakers and is probably not going to be any easier for the next Republican speaker, whoever that is. Yeah. And I do want to get to who that next person might be, the next Speaker of the House. But first, before we get to that, what has McCarthy had to say about him being ousted in, in this way? So Kevin McCarthy was asked repeatedly by many reporters in many different ways um, what this means for the Republican Party if there is a challenge within the Republican Party, if the Republican Party has become ungovernable. And McCarthy wouldn't go there. He blamed this small faction of Republicans. They are not conservatives. They don't get to say they're conservative because they're angry and they're chaotic. That's not the party I belong to. And so he refused to address the bigger issue that has become a thread and a trend within Republican politics and the division and the split we're seeing in the party in multiple different ways, actually. Um, and so McCarthy did not take a holistic, big picture, introspective look at what happened and what the future of the party is or what it will be. So now let's talk a bit about what happens next in so much as anyone really knows, because it sounds like it's also unknown on Capitol Hill. Um, right now, who is in charge of the House of Representatives? No one. I mean, <laughs> there is actually someone in charge of the House. They just <laughs> don't worry. The country is not completely falling apart. There is like governance up here for to an extent. The Senate is fine. But there is a caretaker speaker, essentially. His name is Patrick McHenry. With the narrowest Republican majority in a generation, what do we achieve? We brought the president to the table when he stubbornly said for 100 days they would not negotiate. He's a Republican from North Carolina, and his name was selected by Kevin McCarthy back when he was elected speaker. There's this hidden list of potential speakers should there be a vacancy in the speakership. It's never happened before, 
But since the speakership was vacant as of yesterday, immediately McHenry was the person appointed to fill the roles. Pursuant to Clause 8B3 of Rule 1, I'll now, now act as Speaker pro tem. So he is running the House of Representatives. I see. Although it's not a, it's more of a ceremonial role to make sure that the House opens, but he doesn't even know the extent of his powers, which are very, very, very limited. It's almost like a substitute teacher. Almost. <laughs> uh, it feels a little bit um, like yeah, they come exactly. in, maybe just, play the movie. Yeah, turn the, the movie on and just be good kids. Just, just yeah, yeah. write it out. <laughs> okay, so what what happens next, though? Who is trying to be the next speaker, and when might there be a vote for that to happen? So there's a couple people who are trying to be the next speaker. The most obvious person who is running is uh, Steve Scalise. We're going to make Congress work again, not only ending proxy voting where people can show up to vote, but where the committees meet in person again to debate things that are important to the hardworking families who are struggling under this Biden agenda. So it's going to be an exciting time. We're ready to- right now, he, he was McCarthy's number two. He's the majority leader. He's from Louisiana. He is making moves and trying to shore up support as we speak to be the Speaker of the House. There's Representative Jim Jordan. They don't trust we the people. They're smarter than us. They're better. They don't trust law-abiding American citizens. They do not trust them. People probably know his name because he is uh, kind of the Republican attack dog. He is out front co-leading these investigations into President Biden, his family, the administration. Uh, He's a possibility as well. There's other names being floated around, too. Uh, But those two are probably the ones who are most likely, and neither one of them have it sewn up yet. It's going to be a week of trying to get these votes, making promises, and proving that they are able to do the job. Beyond this question of how are Republicans going to move forward and their internal politics in the House right now of this moment, aren't there very real ramifications for not having a speaker and for the seat being vacant? Like, walk me through what this means for the rest of America and the functioning of our democracy that there is no actual Speaker of the House. Well, uh, the Speaker of the House is a constitutional position that are actually second in line to the presidency uh, should something happen to the president and the vice president. So th- there's that big picture component. Um, on a From a day-to-day standpoint, most Americans aren't going to notice that there's no Speaker of the House in their daily lives as they go to work, you know, go to the grocery store. But in about 40 days, government funding, which McCarthy just passed with Democrats a few days ago, is going to run out. And so there are big government funding fights ahead, and there's not a lot of time. But in Congress, that is things move so slowly. Uh, it's not. And so they have this next challenge ahead of them. Um, but first, they have to figure out who's going to be the leader of the House. And then then they're going to be in a scramble to fund the government. And we could be back facing a government shutdown again. You know, now that this conservative minority within the GOP and Congress have actually gone through on this threat, ousted the speaker You know, is there any way to rein this element in? Because it does seem like on some level, who would even want this job? It seems it seems like an impossible job. 
Or, you know, is this just what the party is at the moment? And are people resigned to, to this being the reality going forward? It's absolutely an impossible job. But I guess people like, you know, that human ability to think that it's going to be different for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that next I, relationship, I can change that. <laughs> right, exactly. This one's going to be better. I'm going to do it better. Um, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they can. Maybe they're going to surprise us all. But the dynamics are not going to change. There's still going to be Republicans in uh, this Republican faction in the party who wants steep government spending, who isn't really big on governing or government And the dynamics are also going to be the same, which we haven't mentioned yet. There is a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. And that is why Kevin McCarthy could not give these far-right members everything they wanted, even though he kept trying over and over again to his own demise. Um, Because the Senate's not going to pass what the House passes, and the president's not going to sign whatever the House passes. So, you know... Uh, this might be a just another repeat of every other Republican speaker we've had in you know recent time, recent decade at least. Leanne, thanks so much for joining us to explain. And I don't know, maybe we'll be back here talking about this again in the future. <laughs> I bet we will be. <laughs> Leanne Caldwell co-authors The Post's early 202 newsletter. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh and Ariel Plotnik. It was edited by Robin Amer and mixed by Sean Carter. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The Seven. This podcast is hosted by my colleague, Jeff Pierre, and he brings you the seven stories you need to know every weekday morning by 7 a.m. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.